like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson coming to you live from Upstairs Studio. Not in studio with me is Heather Shoemaker. How are you doing, Heather? I'm doing great. Beautiful day for you. Beautiful day here. And we've got somebody else having a beautiful day. We've got a special guest in our virtual studio. Who's with us, Heather? Uh, We have an author, a children's book author named Debbie Gonzalez, and I'm just thrilled to have her here. She has a brand new book out called Girls with Guts. What a great title. And it's about um, female athletes and sort of it's, it's nonfiction picture book. And you would never know how cool nonfiction picture books can be. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you. So good to be here today. So, um, you know, many of you know that besides having a, a hand in early childhood field, um, that I write children's books as well. So I'm always on the lookout for neat new books. And this one is interesting because um, it talks a lot about um, ideas of how we bring up our kids and and expectations of what's possible for girls and boys. And what's neat about your book, Debbie, is that it, it reminds us that life was not always like this. Exactly right, yeah. The, the full title is called Girls with Guts, The Road to Breaking Barriers and Bashing Records. And it is the history of the female athlete from the very first Olympic Games to present day. And it encompasses the passage of Title IX, which a lot of people, young girls don't even know about. And so it, it's uh, been received really well. And I'm just having a great time promoting it. Yeah. So can you kind of tantalize us with some tidbits of things that astonish people, um, people of all ages, really, not just the kids, of things that, what, you couldn't do that back then? Oh, I sure can. Uh, For instance, the very first Olympic Games, the brand new first Olympic Games, it was completely lawful. It was okay to execute a woman if she entered the arena, if she just walked in there. And so what those women did with their passion to compete, they went ahead and created their own festival and they celebrated the goddess Hera by running foot races. So they they couldn't be stopped. Another very interesting thing um, in the first part, early 1900s, I guess, uh, Sarah Bender, excuse me, let me get that name. Ah, I'm losing her name. Anyway, the very first, you can cut that, right? You know how to cut that out. Um, The first basketball players had to play basketball with their complete body covered with fabric. Uh, 
They could only show their hands and show their faces. So their legs had to be covered. They had to wear skirts, but they did not care. They did not care at all. The game was played where the women could only pass the ball once. They could only bounce the ball twice and they could not touch each other and they could not run. If they no running, no running, no running. If they did, if they sweat, they had to come off the course. Oh, yeah, yeah, real deal. But you know what? They loved it. They wanted to play. And so it's just, it's fascinating that what my book explores is the premise of this spirit to compete, the spirit to um, play, no matter what society is telling them that they can, can or cannot do. And it, mm -hmm. it's prevailing today. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that struck me when I, and again, it's a picture book. This is not a long, dry, boring history. This is a book that anybody <laughs> can read and enjoy. Mm -hmm. But what struck me is how, yeah, you're talking about how dire things were back in ancient Greece and so on and back in way back times. But even in 1970s, mm -hmm. it was really bad. And that's not that long ago. Um, I mean, it takes me to the time when I grew up in the 70s. So I was the only girl on the YMCA soccer team. Um, I don't know if my parents had to fight to get me in. I just know there weren't any other girls. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the kind of era where it was very, very lopsided. And even a couple of years later, in the 80s when I was in college, um, I played on the women's soccer team there and we were we we had to practice on the inferior field you know the one that was way off took a mm -hmm. long walk to get there took up half our practice it seemed just to get to the field the field was all horribly maintained and the guy team had the beautiful field right next to the athletic building and so we started to complain and I think we invoked you know title nine but it ended up when I was there that they switched. So one on Mondays, we got the nice field to practice. Mm. And on Tuesdays, it was the other way around. And there was a lot of grumbling mm -hmm. on the guy's part, because it's hard to give up the nice field. But it's, it's not that long ago. That was no. 1989 or something. Yeah, and see, and that's that after Title IX was passed. Title IX was passed in 1972. Yeah. So still the, the battle you know goes on as far as equality and equanimity in, in sports. Um, but it's just so interesting to know that visionaries, you know, in, in 60s and 70s, such a visionary of the fact that not only can a girl not, they fought for the right for girls to play sports, but they really fought for a, right, for a girl's right to have equal access to education. Because without Title IX, there's not equanimity in education. Actually, the, the, uh, the whole big battle began when um, women, some women in some schools were not allowed to get their uh, PhDs. Colleges mm. felt like a, a bachelor's was enough. Why, why else would you need edu education? You're just going to be a mother or a secretary. So, you know, why bother? And uh, nope. <laughs> there were visionaries that said, no, this is not right. A, a girl needs to have the same access to empowering programs as boys do. So I think your book kind of serves as a history book for some of the for, for children of the age it's directed at because I have, I have a niece. She's a little bit older than the, the age range for the picture book now. She's, she's uh, starting high school, I think. But when she was eight or nine years old, she decided she was going to be a wrestler and wrestled 
and mm-hmm. did quite well at it. And it wasn't a question. It wasn't a question with her mom or her dad or the school no. or anybody. And that was possible because of, of the people mm-hmm. you talk about in this exactly. book. Exactly. No, no. I'm not a real sports guy, but I saw an article that caught my eye a couple of weeks ago that high school wrestling is kind of languishing in some parts of the country, except for the fact that it's becoming a girl sport, mm-hmm. yeah, which is yeah. which is pretty darn cool. You know, I do something else too that's kind of neat. You'll like this. I do have a podcast that I produce. It's called The Debcast. And on The Debcast, I talk to female athletes or people who have written about them. And I'm really, really going for, um, I really want to have women that competed before Title IX was passed but I'm getting everything in like, I just finished a really wonderful episode with a girl. She's 13 and she's a karate champion. She's a world champion. And it's so fun to talk to someone like that and say, you know, what would you think if someone told you that, I'm sorry, you cannot do this because you're a girl, you'll need to leave. She, she's like, no way. She said, I would just laugh at them. But there was a time huh. when that was really the thinking. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's exciting, and then it's exciting to have this book in front of young girls, so they can actually understand that, you know, there was a time that their freedoms were not available, but because of others that have fought for it, they get to do it. And I think for kids, talking on the sports level uh, really resonates. You know, we can talk about the right to vote, which is very important, and we can talk about other. Uh, rights that we've earned but when you talk about you mean i cannot wear my cleats <laughs> you're telling me i can't kick the soccer ball you're crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and for boys too because it's equally mm-hmm. important for them to realize oh how ridiculous this all is well um, and they do you know. they do in fact i've gone to a number of schools and you know read the book to classrooms boys and girls and then i'll ask the question and the and the boys are like why why can't they? And I told the boys, you are the generation that's going to make, bring about the healing because to you, it just seems ludicrous. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite uh, pages in, in your book is girls were told no chasing, no stretching, no kicking, no pushing, no splashing, and never ever sweat. Do not sweat. You could yeah. not sweat. You they know- were, yeah. My, um, my grandmother, I, I suppose she was brought up this way because she would say this statement that was just kind of, we thought it was funny, but she would say, pigs sweat, men perspire, and ladies glow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so not even the men were supposed to sweat, but, you know, we didn't live by that, neither did she, but it was something, must have, she yeah. must have heard it somewhere, you know. Cult, uh, something cultural, yeah. <laughs> that's something so glad we've, we've come a long way from this yeah so. and it's I mean it's important to realize I think for kids as you say kids can relate to the sports everybody can relate to bouncing a ball and maybe re- winning a running race or even if they're not playing a, a, a team sport or something they can relate to playing with their bodies mm-hmm. uh, but that this translates to hey if something's unfair speak up you know, that's that's what we get back to and with um, all the renegade rules that, that I, I talk to parents and teachers about, which is setting limits and setting boundaries. And if you don't like something, speak up. And it's really hard for people to do that. But something like this where you collect lots of courageous people 
who were being discriminated against in the world of sports in this case, but but what binds them is that they all spoke up, and eventually, with a lot of people speaking up, um, you know, you did get these unfair laws changed. I think that's such an important message for kids and and their grownups to to remember. I think so too. And the other thing that just really resonates with me is how one generation is so aware that by fighting for this, the next generation will benefit. And I think that's a big part of the the women's movement, I suppose, as you could say, is that, you know, six, in, in the 60s or 70s, those women had the vision that um, a generation, the, the other thing that's very exciting about the book, and I just love this sort of thing, is that um, when Title IX was passed in the 70s, okay, all that fussing going on and all kinds of, you know, uh, hearings and that sort of thing, but all that's going on. In the meantime, in history, there are babies being born. There are, people are still having babies. They're still growing. In the 1996, one generation later, one complete generation later, in the 1996 Olympics in the Atlanta Games, the women in those games cleaned out. I mean, they the baseball, the softball, the basketball, the the gymnastics, the gymnastics, swimming. All the women's teams just were amazing. And and the thing is, the society never saw it coming. They didn't realize it was coming. Well, they were the first generation to be able to play and compete after Title IX. So they called them the Title IX babies. And now Title IX babies are sportscasters, they're college coaches, they're um, all kinds of things. So it's just interesting how one generation later, mm -hmm. there's an explosion in uh, it's, it's yeah. starting. I've, I've been able to meet one of my episodes. I was uh, I interviewed a, a woman who was competing in those Olympics. She was a fencer, her, uh, Felicia Zimmerman. And as she was talking, she was talking about the, the 96 Olympics. I said, Felicia, do you know that you're a Title IX baby? And she said, no, what's that? She had no idea. Huh. And so I told her the story about Title IX and how she uh, um, was able to compete. And she was unaware of that. So it's, it's very interesting. I think we just lost Heather. I think we lost Heather for a minute. Hey, Debbie, tell, tell me about the, the research process for this. Because um, in my mind, there's a little, probably a little bit more research involved in this book than there are in a lot of books directed at that age group, picture book type things. Well, I thank you for asking about that research. It's interesting. Um, actually, the way I get into the story was to, uh, to research my MFA thesis. My, I got my, bat, my master's in writing for children and young adults. Mm -hmm. from Vermont College of Fine Arts, and my thesis was I studied the female athletic protagonist. So I wanted to see when she came in history, what she was doing, what was going on in history at the time, what was going on with the boys at the time. And so it was it's fascinating. In fact, I, I need to do more work with that. And then as a result, I started to see patterns in the research and patterns in and how uh, the story progressed. So that's basically how I did it. I went at it to study for my thesis, and then it ended up being a book. Had so much fun with it, you turned it into 
I did. I did. You know, one of the more readable, a readable thesis because it's got pictures too. (laughs) Right, right, and it's only seven hundred words. So a picture book is (laughs) the whole history in seven hundred (laughs) words. Yeah. Well, well, something you said about um, the, you know, the Title IX babies are now grown up and coaching and so on themselves. So I was probably, um, I mean, I've been. I've been struck by how important that role is too, not just having the girls play, but having both boys and girls be coached and mentored by female athletes. Um, You know, because that's, um, I mean, I have two boys myself, but a lot of their coaches have been females. And I've coached girls soccer. um, And I think it's important for them to see that, yeah, not a, it's not just the dads volunteering to coach. You know, there's a lot of people out there. Well, um, and, and who, I was going to say one thing that that in my thesis I discovered too. One of the things I was proving was, and this goes to your point about the coaching. In 1930, my protagonist, she was lovely. She was on the page, but she was very cartoonish. She was serving coffee all the time. She was fixing her makeup, all that kind of thing. Well, then when I studied um, books that are contemporary now these girls are pretty, pretty uh, tough. You know, they, they're no, they're part of their sport is who they are. They're immersed in it. They're not afraid to hurt. And my, what I proved in my thesis was you really cannot write about a character much like this until you have been that character. So the, the author who wrote my girl in the thirties was, you know, probably a young girl, 1910, 1920. So she didn't have those opportunities. And I think the same thing goes with the coaching too. Muffet McGraw from Notre Dame, she feels very strongly about the fact that women are not going to be able to see themselves in leadership roles until they're actually in that leadership role. So she only hires female coaches, which is her point of view. But um, I think that as time goes by, more women becoming more powerful, more empowered by sport, they're going to be able to handle coaching situations, but they're also going to be able to handle business situations and life situations and confidence situations. And I think that's, once again, those those forward-thinking women that fought for the right for these women to have these these freedoms. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, um, as an author, I often think back that the reason that I've got my books published is because I've, being a soccer playing kid mm-hmm. in the 1970s, because um, the skills that I picked up playing um, soccer, you know, I was at defense, and it was really hard to get the ball past me. And I must admit, I use that psychological trick because I was the only girl so when the boys were coming at me you know they were the forwards about to score and they had stars in their eyes already you know they could hear the cheers as they got the ball in but then there I was and I was a really tough little defender and I was short and shrimpy so they always underestimated me with my ponytail Mm -hmm. and that I used to completely to my advantage so I'd always I mean not always but I was really good at getting them on the ground and me with the ball which um and then having that persistence to never give up and keep mm-hmm. going. So maybe I missed it and they got by me, but I'd run even faster. And I feel like a lot of those, as you say, those qualities of playing the sport, maybe not how well you can shoot the ball, but how you have persistence or how you have determination and it comes out in the sport, but it also comes out later in your life, whatever field you go into. Does. And for me, it came out in being persistent about getting a book published. So <laughs> oh, there you tell go. Me, yeah, tell me about that one. 
Yeah, but it, it's so. It, any thoughts about um, taking this message um, just to really young kids? You know, three, four, five, six-year-olds. Um, how we treat them and the kinds of things we say just in our everyday life when we're talking to boys and girls to make sure that the kind of qualities of the equality of Title IX is just in the way we interact with kids. Yeah, you know, I think so much of just showing these examples, you know, just uh, this person had all of this against them, yet they persisted. I think that sometimes showing them, you know, what people have gone through and how they've, they've stuck to it teaches a lot. And then help them understand that, um, you know, we are really, really blessed with all these freedoms, but they didn't just show up. <laughs> it was on the, you know, on the backs of people who really had a vision for who we can be and um, what we can accomplish. And, uh, I'm, and mm-hmm. some of the podcasts that I've done, I have done a number with some teens and I've asked them, you know, what do you think about that? If, if one of those women were sitting here in front of you, what would you say to them? And they always say, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, mm-hmm. thank, I, I would not be who I am if it wasn't for your vision for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Neat stuff. And whenever I think oh, about, oh, sorry, good. Um, whenever I think about an emphasis on, you know, the girls. So we've got a book called Girls with Guts. Well, I always think about the boys, too, because um, sometimes we're almost at an era where the girls know they can do anything. They, they've been told that through books, through people, just through examples. They feel like they can do anything. A lot of girls have that message coming. And on the flip side, then a lot of boys are feeling there's things they can't do. So in um, some of those is... Um, being weak or being fearful or crying or any of those things that are off limits supposedly for the boys. And I'm talking about three-year-olds and very young kids who already have picked up these vibes. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's really neat how quickly in the generations that the girls have picked up, they can do anything. They can be tough and competitive if they want to be. But five minutes later, if they're in a mood to snuggle, they can do that too. And I think we need to always remember as we're pushing forward to make the world bigger and more equal for the girls, we got to remember not to close doors for the boys. Because yeah. that just makes the world better for everybody if yeah, we can so. have yeah. true equality. Yeah. And like I said, I think my experience is anyway, sharing this with kids and the boys, boys and girls together, they're just astonished. You know, like a 10 year old girl, is physically the same as a 10-year-old boy. Because we'll talk about, you know, when 10-year-olds run in race, they're just 10-year-olds are equal. Mm -hmm. And so that to them seems just so strange. It's like, well, sure she can do it. She just beat me on the playground. You know, so I think if they keep that mindset of, yeah, sure we can do it. Like that 10-year-old competitive mindset. I think that's a great foundation to go forward. Mm -hmm. So Debbie, what's the next book? Because I mean, there's always a next book, right? There is a next book. I have several, actually, that I'm working on. Um, one is I'm rewriting a book that I have that's called All-Star Spirit. It's a ghost story. Uh, you'll like that. Um, I'm rewriting it. It's a middle grade, but I'm bringing it down to a chapter book. I feel like all the characters are well enough developed that they could carry their own book in a chapter series of that. And then, I, you know, something that I've always been fascinated about. In fact, I wrote a paper about this, and I think it's something that would be interesting for a book. Sports metaphors are metaphors for life. 
Like, you know, somebody says uh, right off the bat, you know what that means, right off the bat, or a sucker punch, you know what that means, it's, you know, this sort of thing. Well, I want to write a book, a picture book that explores those metaphors in poetic form and then um, shows how they're, this figurative language that this is an action, but it's also symbolic of, of another uh, concept. Oh, so, cool. yeah, yeah. Very that's cool. A, I know. It'll be hot off the press. That's, hot, that's, not, a sports <laughs> that's not a sports metaphor, but you know what? There you go. So you're thinking about it. Yeah. 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 And it's yeah. a marathon deal to ride them. You know that. <laughs> so so um, how can people buy your book or find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at DebbieGonzalez.com. You can also find me at GuidesByDeb.com. I create teacher guides for new releases and, uh, Got quite a good lot of good ones over there. Um, you can buy the book, you know, anywhere books are sold, uh, Indie Press, Amazon, that sort of thing. And I'm pretty much all over the social media, Facebook, and all that. So just come by and see me. Excellent. We'll put. I'll put uh, when I post the episode. I'll put some links in there so people can listen to the episode and click right to you from the uh, from the show notes. Uh, I would like we'll that. Go there. Come by and see me. Excellent. Hey, this has been Renegade Rules. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing the show. Thanks for, thanks for you know, just sticking this in your ear holes. We appreciate it. Back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That was fun. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy... Whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.